0: To be with you this morning. Um, that bumper video that you've been seeing throughout this Psalm 23 series. Uh, this is the last week, so that's the last time you get to see it. But is that footage not just gorgeous and crazy killer beautiful? Like it's uh, that's actually a guy that goes to TLC here. Uh, Derek Wigbold has shot all that. Uh, he's like a drone footage, like guru dude, and he let us use it for, it's pretty amazing. So every time I watch him, am like, oh my goodness, it's so amazing. Uh, hey, we are in our last week of our Psalm 23 series, and uh, I'm really excited about, uh, what I think God wants to share with us this morning. I hope you guys have had a good fourth weekend so far. Uh, I love uh, the 4th of July. 4th of July is probably my third favorite holiday. All right. When I was growing up, we used to always get together. Uh, my mom's side of the family was a whole bunch of us cousins. And I had one cousin in particular, his name was Frankie. And Frankie and I used to hang out all day long. We'd always go to my aunt's house. She had a pool and Frankie and I, all we would do is swim, 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 swim. In fact, we would swim so much and open our eyes underwater way too much. And my aunt put way, way, way too much chlorine in the pool every time she was probably afraid we were going to pee in it, which we probably did. But, uh, My eyes would always be so bloodshot and red by the end of the evening that by the time fireworks came, I could barely open my eyes to even watch them. I didn't even care, though. We had the best time. Now, 4th of July, though, that's like my third favorite. My second favorite is Thanksgiving. And my first favorite is Christmas. And I think part of that actually has to do with the fact, uh, especially with Christmas, is that that was a a holiday that we always celebrated uh, at my house. And so we would have people in, and there's something about just like being home, right? Um, This is actually a picture of me when I graduated uh, from college. Uh, That's my family. Uh, My uh, younger brother, Cody, had passed away uh, about a year earlier, so he's not in the picture. Um, But I think that's uh, all of us uh, at that time. And uh, I I remember this specifically uh, because after I graduated from college, I never really went home to live anymore. Uh, I remember, though, uh, especially four years earlier, actually three and a half years earlier, I went to community college for a semester. Uh, my parents were definitely ready for me to be out of the house. And so I wound up transferring to uh, the college I went to down in Ohio. And I remember uh, the day that my dad dropped me off. I always felt like I would be like so good and and cool and like it wouldn't bother me. But that night, like I found myself uh, in tears. I was homesick and I'm like, I had never really left home before. I mean, I'd gone away for certain, you know, little things and some little trips and stuff, but that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not home. And uh, I wound up loving college. Like, college was awesome. I had a phenomenal uh, three and a half years, and it was great. But I always still enjoyed going home, right? Because there's something about that. Uh, Mom and dad are there. Brothers and sisters are there, right? Home is a place where you feel safe, right? Home is the place where you're going to get a home cooked meal. A home is the place where uh, you can ask for advice and and people that actually love you are going to offer you good wisdom and they're going to be in your corner. Home is a place where you're actually going to, to be challenged in a healthy way. Home is a place where you're actually going to enjoy comfort and security and love. They're going to accept you for who you are. They know all your faults. They know all the ways that you fall short and they love you anyway. That's why I think all of us love home. In fact, we in America have used that phrase, right, being at home, uh, to kind of signify what it means to feel comfort or security or love, don't we? We say, this feels like home, right? Or this is home, or I feel at home here, right? We have actually turned that phrase into mean, this is the place that I experience love and security and comfort. It's actually how I think it's supposed to be, what God desires for us. Uh, there's actually a psalm that talks about this concept of home, though, that I never fully understood. Uh, it's not in Psalm 23, although we will get to Psalm 23 in just a minute. But I'd like to kick us off in Psalm chapter 84. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip open Psalm chapter 84. We're going to read one verse, and it's probably going to be a somewhat familiar verse to you if you grew up in church all right? It's written by not King David. King David writes a lot of the Psalms. In fact, David wrote Psalm 23, which makes sense because David was a shepherd, so he understood what it meant that God was our shepherd. But in Psalm 84, it's actually written by the sons of Korah, all right? The sons of Korah. I'll explain who the sons of Korah were a little bit later, but let's just read uh, verse 10 in Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Some of you, if you're old enough, remember the hit smash worship song from 1995. Mr. Matt Redman, better is one day in your courts. Anybody remember that? Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Freddie, Jordan, I'm coming for you. Yeah, they, Jordan doesn't even need to come back from vacation. I got this worship thing on lockdown. I, I'm sure I probably liked the song back then. I can't stand it now, but it's a great song. It's like straight scripture, okay? But the whole a uh, song, and, and I remember hearing this verse even before the song ever came out, and I remember thinking, like, how could they say that? At first, I was kind of like, no, I, at first, I got it, because like, growing up, I was a hooper, like, I like to ball out, I like to play basketball, so I was like, yo, that's right, better would be one day on his courts, you know what I'm saying? I bet God's got some dope basketball courts up in heaven, probably got, like, some special surface I'm gonna be able to dunk off of, like, and then I realized they were saying better is one day in his courts, not on his courts. And I was like, ah, probably something different. Yeah, they're talking about the, the courts of the temple. And some of the sons of Korah are like, uh, it would be better for me to spend one day in the temple courts than a thousand any place else in the world. And, and the temple court would kind of be like our lobby. It's kind of like the church lobby, okay? It's not even where you would go in to do like your main worship. And they're like, it would be better to have one day there. And, and then they actually go on. They say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but have you ever seen the tents of the wicked? Like, those tents be G'd out, like Dolce and Gabbana'd out. Like, those tents are all, they got air conditioning. They probably got the big thing of, like, grapes, you know, or you gonna like, pluck Like, those, the tents of the wicked, the wealthy, the, they got all of it. And they're like, I would rather spend my life as a doorkeeper, just opening the door for folks, than spend any time in those other tents, anyplace else. And, and I remember kind of thinking, like, Really? Like is that that's all like that's your dream? Why? And, and I think that why question is a good question to ask. I, I think it's actually a fair question. In fact, it's the question that with God's help, I'm going to try to build an answer for today. We're going to flip back to Psalm 23, Psalm 23, and we are in the final verse of this chapter. but I would like for us to read, the entire chapter, it's only six verses, all together. And so I'm gonna ask if you would stand and we're going to read God's word together. Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse one. It's up on the screen if you'd like to read along that way or in your Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reading of God's word. You may be seated. I'd like to focus on uh, two words in that last verse, verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Uh, What does David mean when he says that we will dwell forever in the house of the Lord? of the Lord. I started thinking about it um, really this past week. I was kind of thinking about this whole series. I've loved, I, I keep gushing. I feel like every single week I gush about how much I've loved the series. It's just been so good for my own soul. And as I was kind of reflecting back on not just a verse six that we're kind of talking about this week, but the entire Psalm, I realized that David all along had been describing what home is. Uh, if we look at verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. David is saying, look, home, home is where God is. Because my home, my home was never about a, a, a building, it was never a structure, right? Home was always about my parents and my brothers and sisters, my family, and, and what they provided for me. And what David is saying is that, look, uh, home true home the kind of home that we all deep down desire and long for that this thing that is unspoken but we know it when we feel it and see it it's it's sitting somewhere deep within our psyche in our soul in our heart home is where God is and where God is there's no need there's no lack like you got everything that you need if God is home you have everything And then in verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Home is the place that I can enjoy food and laughter and rest. I mean, that was always it for me. Like anytime that I got to go home, like messing around with my younger brothers and sisters, we would laugh all the time. It was the place that I could rest because I knew that I was accepted for who I was. I didn't have to put on airs. I could take off the mask. I could just be who I was. Home is the place that there's always food, right? And not just some food, not just enough, usually like more than enough. Verse 3, actually 3b, says he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Uh, Home is also the place where we get good advice. Home is the place that we can go and ask the tough questions. Home is the place you can have hard conversations with your parents and your brothers and sisters where you can say, guys, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Can you fill me in? Can you give me some advice? That's where we're going to find wisdom. That's where we're going to find support and encouragement. Because sometimes the choice that we need to make is not an easy choice, not a fun choice. It's a hard choice. And we need people that are in our corner that are going to be like, yo, I know this is hard, but you can do it. And I'm with you. And they give you encouragement. He guides me. Along the right paths for his name's sake. David's been describing all along exactly what home is. We see it again at the end of, or excuse me, in verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Home is the place that we find strength, even in hard times. Home is is the place that we find encouragement, even in the most uncertain times. Why? Because God is with us. God is with us. And he goes on to say, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, the rod was used to whack things that were going to try to get the sheep. All right. The staff was used to move things around, or if a sheep was kind of getting off, they kind of pull them back in. All right. The, those were instruments of protection. And because they protected the sheep, the sheep were comforted. And what we learn through that is that home is where we are safe. Home is where we are safe. Now listen to what I didn't say there. I didn't say home is where we are comfortable. You're like, well, doesn't he say that he comforts us? Yes, but there is a difference between being comfortable and being comforted. Those are not the same things. Sometimes God actually has to bring things into our lives to get us out of our comfort zone, right? Because there's something that he needs us to do. God will still protect. That's why we can be comforted. But God is not trying to make us always feel comfortable. Home is where we are safe. Notice I did not also say home is where we feel safe. You're like, well, shouldn't you feel safe? Uh, It's way more important to be safe than to feel safe. Can we just acknowledge that? Look, if you get on the roller coaster ride of faith with Jesus, I promise you there will be times you will not feel safe. That's just like part and parcel of what it means to follow him. But there is no safer place than to be in the car next to Jesus because he knows where the thing's going. He knows when it's going to be up and when it's going to be down and times when you're not going to be sure which way is up and which way is down and he's going to be with you all along. Home is where we are safe because we're with him. Even though it doesn't always feel safe. Home is also the place that we feast without fear. Remember last week's message? The cup overflows. It says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I can sit down and grub out not worrying about anybody else. I remember how that felt when I would come home. Like, it doesn't matter what was going on at college, doesn't matter what was going on place else with my job. When you're home, you're just like, ah, oh, like I can just let it all go, sit down at the table, grub out. Things are good. I feel great about that. And it says that uh, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. In other words, God hooks you up, like scrubs your face. you got that nice gel. You're looking good. You're smelling clean. And then he's just pouring a never-ending cup for you. Because with God, there's no lack. He's reminding us of what he's already taught us and told us about God in verse 1. Home is that place that we can feast without fear. And then we get to verse 6, our last verse in Psalm 23. And we're reminded that we can dwell forever. Home is the place that we get to dwell forever in God's house. And this is really what it means to dwell forever in God's house. Uh, In fact, this is how God becomes home and his family becomes our family. It's when we come to his table. Uh, I can still remember the summer of 2002. Um, I'd been married for a few years at this point. Uh, Got a call from my dad, and my dad said, um, hey, Torrin, would love to have uh, a talk. Could we meet? I think at this time I was 27, maybe just turned 28. Uh, In in my 27, 28 years of life, uh, my dad had never said to me, hey, can we get together to talk? So I'd spent lots of time with my dad. like That wasn't the thing, but he wasn't like a talker. And so I knew something was up. In fact, I kind of already had an inkling uh, of what was coming. And so I drove over to Detroit, and my dad and I sat down in a park on a bench, and he told me that my mom and he were getting a divorce. Now, um, I was out of the house. I was married at this point, And I knew some of the issues that they had. I knew that their marriage wasn't perfect. I had, I had known that for a number of years, but I never thought that they would actually get a divorce. I just didn't think that they would. So I was surprised, but I wasn't shocked, if that makes sense. And my dad shared with me some of the things that had led towards their decision. And a couple days later, my mom shared as well. She wanted him to share it first because he wasn't always as quick to do that. And I remember after hearing from both of them, um, I didn't really feel sad. I mean, I I felt sad for them. But I didn't feel sad for myself. I was just kind of like, oh, well, that's a, you know, that kind of stinks. And I guess that's a bummer, but I'm not shocked. It wasn't until about three months, four months later, started getting later into the fall. And uh, my mom, uh, my dad had moved into an apartment. Uh, The house was for sale. My mom was uh, actually going to be moving away. And that first Thanksgiving and Christmas season were coming up and I realized I don't have a home anymore. That was the first time that I was like really, really devastated. That was when I felt like something's been taken from me. I, home was always where my folks were. It was never about the house. In fact, when I was in college, my, my folks actually moved to a different house. I never even had my own bedroom at that house, I, you know, but it was still home. So my brothers and sisters were there and, and, my, and my parents were there. It was the place that I could go and just be and now that wasn't the case anymore. We all long for home, don't we? We all long for that place that we can go and, and be safe and take off the masks and be who we are and feast with our family, laugh, right? Enjoy each other's company, rest, Uh, The sons of Korah who wrote Psalm 84, I think they understood what I felt. Uh, We don't know who exactly the sons of Korah are other than the fact that they were descendants of Korah. Uh, We learn in, I think it's numbers, that uh, Korah was uh, living at the same time of Moses. Uh, Korah actually uh, was put in charge of taking care of the tabernacle. So if you remember, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They wind up in the wilderness for 40 years before they enter into the promised land. And during that time, they can't build a a temple to worship God in. So God says, make me a tent. It's called the tabernacle. God had all kinds of ways that he wanted them to make uh, the tent. He said, hey, when you go camping, take me with you. When you set up camp, put up my tent first, everybody can camp around me, my presence will be there. And he had Moses uh, create the priesthood. And within the priesthood, there were folks uh, um, that actually then took care of the tabernacle. Korah was supposed to be the head caretaker of the tabernacle, taking care of God's house. Uh, Korah decided, though, that he wanted a bigger slice of the pie. He didn't like the fact that he was just the caretaker. And so he actually gathered a whole bunch of folks, about 150 men along with him, and they were starting to lead a rebellion where they were basically going to try to take Moses out and then take over command of Israel. And so they come to Moses, and Moses confronts them, and Moses says, God, you be the judge. If I'm not doing what you have called me and asked me to do, then take me out right now. But if Korah is leading a rebellion, not against me, God, but against you, then you take him out. And God did something that God doesn't normally do, but he literally opened up the earth, the text says. And Korah and those 150 men literally, I don't know if it was an earthquake, sinkhole, I don't know what it was, but it says the earth swallowed them up. Maybe it's just like a big burp, and they're gone, like done, no more, okay? Crazy and intense, all right? God did not kill Korah's sons. The guy who was supposed to be the caretaker of God's house, the one that was going to help people understand that God is home, is gone, but his sons continue on. And now, when we read Psalm 84, verse 10, and the sons of Korah, generations later, are talking about, I would rather spend one day in the courts of my God than a thousand anyplace else. I'll be a doorkeeper in God's house. I would rather do that than than be in the most extravagant, amazing tents any place else. Now, all of a sudden, it starts to make sense to us. You see, I always kind of understood home, but I really didn't understand until it was taken from me. Now, I was married. I was building my own home with my wife, and I had a really good home that I grew up in. And I've got a phenomenal home now that I get to share with my wife and my children, and I'm so thankful for that. But God's in, God intends that we would experience home in him. My wife will never be able to give me everything that I need, and I'll never be able to give her everything that she needs. I'm only going to find that, you're only going to find that in God himself. God is home. Now, he does something that's kind of crazy uh, during this space. To show us what home is actually going to be like. When Jesus leaves, he creates the church. I remember thinking the the sons of Korah when they first, when I remember first reading Psalm 84.10. And I was like, man, that's so weird. Like, and then I thought, that must have been a huge sacrifice. Like, just to be a, a doorkeeper, Right? Like, wow, they must be so holy and amazing. Like, they're willing just to do that. Like, that must be the lowliest of jobs. And then I came across uh, this English preacher from like the 1800s. And, And look what he says about this verse 8410. G. Campbell Morgan says, We sometimes read this as though there were something heroic about the choice, some touch of sacrifice in the decision. There is nothing of the kind. The singer was a man of profoundest common sense. (laughs) That sounds so English to me. A man of profoundest common sense. In other words, like, no, this was a no-brainer decision. When you really understand what God is like, what he intends for us to experience, that's a no-brainer, man. Like, that's way better than anything else that you're going to find anyplace else. And Jesus creates the church because the church is supposed to show us what that's like. Now, uh, we don't always do a great job of that, right? Right? We're being honest because we're, we're people, we're broken people. We're imperfect people. No family is perfect, so no family can ever give you perfect home. No church is perfect because it's made up of humans. But when the church works the way that God intends the church to work, it is the place that we find home. We actually begin to drag the future into the present, heaven to earth. The church The local gathering of Jesus' followers is the closest place on earth we can come to experience heaven. That's what it's intended to do. The church is supposed to be home. Uh, This is not a passage that uh, preachers preach on very often because it's a hard one to try to explain. Jesus, at one point, said, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brothers and sisters, you can't be my disciple. People are like, what? Like, I'm supposed to hate my parents and my brothers. The point that he's making is if he's saying, you can't prioritize anything over me. And he's also saying that in him, the family of God, that's actually thicker than blood, right? We always say blood is thicker than water, right? Family is thicker than friends. And what Jesus is saying is that kingdom of God, Jesus' family is thicker than blood. That's where we're supposed to experience the future right here on earth. Now, uh, we're imperfect, and I'll be the first to admit that, and I'll be the first to even admit that I'm a big reason that we're imperfect, all right? I bring all kinds of uh, failures and deficiencies into this church. But there's still something powerful that happens when we recognize that you don't have home without family. You don't have home without family. Like, that, family is home. And when we enter into God's family, then all of the people that God has invited to his table and called his children now become our brothers and sisters. We feast together. Now, I know that this season, it's summertime, right? It's summertime in Michigan, especially. Like, we have to deal with winter, okay? So when summer comes, like, we ought to enjoy it. And I also get that this virus has been crazy, crazy hard. But but I want to say something to us. Um, you still need family. You and I still need family. Um, I'm looking at those of you that are online right now, and uh, I, I, w- I want to say this, and, and then I'm going to just go off script for a second. Um, in Psalm 23:6, it says that we dwell forever in the house of God. Like that's the end, right? David is describing who God is and how God is home and, and what that actually looks like, that all the things that we long for and desire. And, and he says, we're going to dwell forever in that home, all right? The church is how we're intended to start living into that space, to begin to start experiencing a place that's meeting our spiritual, emotional, physical needs. And a good church ought to be doing all of those things. That's what the church is supposed to do. You need something physically, that's why there's a whole bunch of folks in here that ought to have it. You might feel like, I'm, I, I have lack, we have no lack. I have needs, we together have no needs because we have a God who is with us and we've got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that have access to all the stuff that God has. That's how it's supposed to work. We start dwelling forever now and God intends that we do it with him and with one another. And then what we learned through that is that spiritual food is just as essential as physical food. And spiritual fellowship is just as essential as physical fellowship, that we actually need one another. Now, I'm gonna go off script for a second here. And you guys are here. So kudos, glad that you're here, it's pretty sweet. During COVID, uh, we have to prioritize one another's safety. That matters. It's super important, right? We can't say that we are a pro-life and care about uh, abortion, but not also be pro-life and caring about helping save the lives of folks who are living right now, especially the more weak and vulnerable among us. That matters. That absolutely matters. But as things begin to open up, one of the things that we have to recognize is where we prioritize our spiritual family. Um, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. This is going to sound like a guilt trip. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip, especially if you're online. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, all right? But I am saying this. uh, If we're going out shopping for some new clothes because we're like, oh, I'm sick of these three-month-old clothes, right? If we're going out because we, like, I'm tired of cooking at home, I want to... We ought to be prioritizing our spiritual family as well. So that is church, and that is your small group, and that is your spiritual community, the people that you're spending time with, to pray with, the people that are going to challenge you. Why? Because we need that. That's actually how we begin to experience the future of heaven now here on earth. And so it's not an issue. I hope you don't hear Torin saying this. I hope that this feels like, if anything, a a gentle little loving prick from the spirit who just says, hey, I want you to prioritize me too. That's what I think God desires for us. I I actually think that uh, everything in Psalm 23 is, is in many ways foreshadowing what the church is intended to be. It's intended to be the place that we gather under the care of a shepherd who feeds us from his word and guides us to make good decisions, where we've got a community of people we can ask tough questions to, people that are going to challenge us, people that are going to walk alongside of us and care for us and protect us, people that are going to actually give us the things that we need, invite us to a table. Isn't that what Jesus did? He invited us to a table that we call Communion. And he promises he's going to return and then bring us to a feast. We need one another. And Psalm 23 is, in many ways, this beautiful foreshadow of what the church is intended to be. And so I just simply want to say that uh, I love this church. And I love you guys. And I love that we get to gather together and do this thing. And I get, like, you don't have to feel bad if you miss a week. you on vacation. Okay, good for you. That's cool. It's Michigan. Let's do that. But. When we begin to prioritize our lives, let's make sure that we are putting God way up at the front, not sometime way back here. And I don't say that to you, that I'm perfect at it. I say that to you because I need you to remind me as well. Look, this COVID season, it's been crazy for me too. And I feel like I'm all out of sorts. And I feel like my relationship with God sometimes seems to kind of, go up and down. And that's why I need you. You need me to show up? Great. I need you to show up too because we need one another to call us on, to remind us what it means to be a part of God's family. So will you do that for me? And I'll do it for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And you are our shepherd. Jesus, you promised that you were the good shepherd. You even laid down your life for the sheep. And because God, you are our home, we lack nothing. You are the place that we find safety and refuge. You are the place that we find protection. You are the place that provides for all of our needs and not just our needs. The cup that you give us is overflowing because you're limitless can't waste something that is limitless and eternal. And so God, we just say thank you for that and thank you for the church. God, let us be the church that you designed us to be, where we actually do the things that you called us to do. The sacrificing of our time and energy and talents, our resources to care for one another, to love this world around us, to to actually make this place be home. Let us prepare ourselves when we will experience home in its fullness at your return. We can't wait. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.